Well, good morning, church family. Hopefully you're staying warm in all of these uh, single-digit temperatures, uh, wind chill even a little bit colder. I've had quite a few people ask me if this feels like Alaska. And I said, yes, it does. So, uh, and there's even snow on the ground, which is great to to go with it. So um, thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning and for coming and practicing um, early this morning. And let's uh, just go ahead and commit our time to the Lord in prayer as we uh, seek the Spirit's guidance as He guides us in the truth of the Word of God in 1 Timothy. So let's bow once more. Father, Lord, we thank you for a a sunny Sunday morning. Um, It is a day that you have made. uh, And when we woke up this morning, your mercies were new. Father, we have sung about your amazing grace, uh, the fact that you should be exalted on high, uh, and that it is uh, the blood being applied uh, to those who put their faith and trust in Christ that um, can experience uh, the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Uh, And Father, we thank you for your word, uh, which is truth, uh, that we have the ability to read it uh, uh, in our own language. Uh, that we can read it from beginning to end, and that your Spirit can teach us uh, as we uh, seek your will and your guidance uh, each and every day, uh, to know that we're not alone, uh, that you are with us wherever we go, uh, and that your word speaks truth uh, into uh, our daily existence uh, in this world that uh, seeks to suppress that truth, uh, that seeks to um, uh, love themselves rather than love you. Uh, And so, Father, we thank you for that, uh, because that means that uh, we have things that we can tangibly hold on to and apply to our lives this morning, and that's what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, Today, we're going to still continue to be in verses 1 and 2. Um, And as you're turning there this morning, uh, you know that uh, there are... Things that are in groupings of four that you can think about, Um, not that four is some magical number, uh, as it were, but, you know, uh, as we take a look at Scripture and we see uh, how the the, uh, Word of God works together, uh, we can oftentimes see groupings that are important. Uh, But, you know, we are right now uh, in a season. Uh, We are in the season of winter, uh, and we're looking uh, forward to spring that uh, is Lord willing, right around the corner, uh, and to summer to follow, and then fall and uh, winter once again. But those four seasons continue to repeat themselves um, as God continues to work in and through the creation that he has made and sustains with his almighty power. Uh, We know as we take a look at a compass that there's north, south, east, and west, Uh, different directions that we can go uh, so that we uh, not only know where we are, but where we're going. If you look in the book of Revelation, you'll read about the four horsemen uh, of the apocalypse. Um, You know, as you come to today, uh, it's an important day in our our calendar year as a church because it's our annual business meeting. Uh, And we have four quarters that make up our calendar year financially uh, as we give an account for and uh, show uh, that we are being responsible and good stewards of what God has given to us. Think about your heart. It has four chambers in it that 
each one doing its part to be able to pump blood through your entire body. And then if you're musically inclined, you know there's four-part harmony in music. And so as we go to our text this morning, I want you to see that there are four blessings. Um, I'm calling a quartet of blessings. Uh, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I read and it said that quartet can be in relation to people or things. So uh, if not, I'm just going to borrow the term for my particular purpose this morning. Uh, so we are going to look at a quartet of blessings. So four blessings that we can see in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Timothy, something that Paul thought enough under the inspiration of the Spirit. So God knew that these four blessings were important to Paul's life, important to Timothy's life, and are important for us today in our lives as children of God. So let's uh, refresh our memories with verses 1 and 2, where it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So there are four blessings, a quartet of blessings here in this passage. Uh, two of which, as you remember back to Ephesians and how Paul introduced that letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, he utilized two of those, grace and peace. Um, we're going to see that in that grouping of three in verse two, that he adds a third one, which is mercy. Uh, and he starts out here, and as we take a look at the very first one, is the blessing of hope. So notice there it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. You ever thought about hope? Have you ever considered what hope is? You know, we just talked about this as we got to the end of Ephesians, but, you know, as we go back to the beginning of Ephesians, you know, as we looked at, at the whole entirety of the Word of God, you know, and we look at the world in which we live, do we see much hope? Well, somebody actually answered the question, no. There are people around you that are lacking in hope. They're wishful in their thinking. They think that, you know or they feel that things could possibly be better. But see, the hope that we talk about in the Bible is not a hope that's wishful. It's not a hope that is a feeling. It is a, a uh, reality. Because hope is actually defined as something that is a confident expectation or an anticipation of what is sure. And in living in an age of unsurety, or in, is that the right word, un or in surety? I don't know. Not sure. Not sure. There you go. That's it. I was trying to come up with it there. Um, in a brain that's not always sure as to what it's going to say, uh, we need things that we can tangibly hold on to in a world full of turmoil. And not just be wishful, but actually be able to take stock in, to have no doubt in, that we can make part of who we are. And as believers, we have something that the unbelieving world does not have. And that is Jesus Christ, our hope. You know, it's been said by that famous author, Anonymous, that a man can live about 40 days without food. 
which seems inconceivable considering everybody's thinking it's 11.20. (laughs) About three days without water, and that's how you say it in Baltimore. It's got a D, not a T. And about eight minutes without air. Please do not test that premise this morning. I don't want people passing out in the congregation because they're trying to hold their breath for eight minutes. But it says only one second, one second without hope. That's pretty profound to think. And there are people right now, maybe even you right now sitting here in the sanctuary or listening online, that are in a state of despair. Which despair is, by definition, someone who's lost all hope. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we should never lose hope. We should never be wishful or hopeful as the world is in relation to anything. Not in relation to our salvation, not in relation to living the Christian life in 2024. With all of its, you know, difficulties, all of the things that are going to come up, all the circumstances that are going to come into your life, we can have something that separates us from the rest of the world, which is first and foremost, Jesus Christ, our hope, but also, too, in living the Christian life. You see, sometimes you find yourself in a set of circumstances where you see no way out. Everything is crashing down. Everything is culminating in something that is, as it were, dragging you down to the very depths of a pit that is labeled despair. It could be your health. You know, didn't I just get well again and here I am sick again? Or wasn't I just out of the hospital? I'm in the hospital again. You know, when we, we, we consider maybe our, our finances... Well, I owe people way too much money, and I don't know where the money's going to come for the next bill that I know is due. We can take a look at the political landscape of our world today, and in particular our country, and have that you know, pull us down in despair. We could even have what we would consider personal stresses, whatever they may be, things that nobody else knows, and you find yourself just grasping for something. Well, see, Paul knew that young Timothy, as a young pastor, needed to know about the hope that he had in Christ Jesus, not only in relation to his salvation, but also in relation to him living life, to face all the challenges that ministry would bring, but also just being a Christian in a world that hated Christians. For, for Timothy to have a hope because Paul knows people because he himself was once a persecutor of the church and he knew what he was zealous to do and that Timothy would end up facing people like that or to have hope because as he's teaching the word of God, as he's you know, sharing the apostles' teaching as it were in that first century, that there are going to be people that say, well, you know what, that's just too much to ask. I want to live however I want to live. Job understood what despair looked like. As he said in in Job chapter 7, verse 6, 
My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. And if that was the end of the story, if that was the last verse we ever read in relation to what happened to Job, if we didn't have the context that we have, it would be very difficult to see any good, to see anything outside of everything that he was experiencing from physical you know, ailment to the loss of loved ones, to the loss of everything that you were used to being uh, and having access to. But we know that God brought Job completely through that and helped Job to see that his, his eyesight, both physical and spiritual, needed to be on the one true God and to remember who he is in relation to all those things that he found himself facing. A good question for us to ask would be well, the one that the psalmist asked in Psalm 43.5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? And maybe you're there right now. Maybe you need to ask that question. You know what the psalmist says in relation to those two questions? Hope in God. Hope in God. Not wishful thinking in God, but a confident expectation and anticipation that God is going to be who he says he's going to be and that I can trust in that wholeheartedly without reservation, without doubt, and know that God is going to bless me as a result. Will that look like what I think it should look like? Well, the more that I know God and I know his ways and know who he is, then yes. But when I'm focusing just on the circumstances and take my gaze off of God himself and, you know, and, and hoping in him, then that changes everything. It says, hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. God's name itself, who God is, is a strong tower. And what, when you hear the name of the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, should fill you with a sense that you know the one strong tower that can be your stronghold no matter what, that can give you hope no matter what, that is a blessing from God. To know what the psalmist says, it says in 18 verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And that horn imagery there is in relation to, you know, an animal that has antlers, which if you've ever handled a set of antlers, you know that they are very hard. And they're meant for protection. And that's exactly what our God does. Anything that comes in to challenge our understanding, to challenge our premise, to challenge our thinking, God's there to defend against Again, liking it to the, the armor of God, which he gives us. And listen to this powerful verse in Colossians 1.27. It says, to them, speaking to the saints, to every believer in Jesus Christ, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is that mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Glory. 
Jesus isn't just wishful thinking. He is not one way among many. He is the hope of glory. That means that Jesus fulfilled everything that God the Father promised. He is the fulfillment of all of that. And that we have a surety that, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you because God knows you by name. He knows you. He knows when you sink in despair as opposed to seeing the blessing of the hope that you have in his son. Sometimes even in relation to salvation because maybe a set of circumstances or something that someone has said causes you to doubt even Christ's sacrifice for you. But even so much more when we're living everyday life because everything is pressing in crunching down, suppressing you to the point where you just look inwardly instead of looking upwardly to realize that God is your hope. Christ Jesus, our hope. That's blessing number one. Blessing number two is the blessing of grace. Again, a common thing we just sung about God's amazing grace this morning. And the thing is, as I thought about this sermon and, and as whether or not to just make a passing statement in relation to that opening, we need to hear about the blessing of hope. We need to hear about the blessing of God's grace. We need to hear about the blessing of God's mercy and the blessing of his peace. We need to be reminded day in and day out because the battle is real. The arrows that are flaming are coming. They are hitting, and sometimes they end up hitting their target because we're not holding up the shield of faith because we're, 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 we've lost hope. Paul wanted to encourage young Timothy to remember the grace that he had, that God's kindness and compassion that was shown in divine unmerited favor in showing him his need of a Savior and bringing him to saving faith. For him to truly say, God is amazing. God is gracious. A grace that is exhibited in forgiving the unforgivable, in reconciling the unreconcilable, and in bringing eternal life where there was only death that existed. That's the grace of God. And we shouldn't just remember it when we sing Amazing Grace. We shouldn't just remember it when we're in church. You need to remember when you find yourself facing something or a situation that is outside of your control to remember God's amazing grace towards you, his forgiveness towards you. I like what D.L. Moody said. He says, the law tells me how crooked I am. Grace comes along and straightens me out. And what does it straighten out? It straightens out that wrong thinking. It straightens out uh, our gaze so that it's not left or right or behind, that it is forthright and, and fronted and fixed on Jesus. That's what God's grace does. A grace that enables us to be able to come into the very throne room of God and say, God, 
I've had enough at looking at the circumstances. I've had enough of living this way in fear and anxiety as if I have no hope or I'm losing all hope and despair. Help me to see your victory. Help me to see who you are. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So in other words, Jesus knows exactly what you're going through, and he went through it with one constant. His gaze was heavenward towards his heavenly Father. He lived a perfect, sinless life. As a matter of fact, you can make the argument that he went through every temptation and every trial farther than any of us have ever gone. Because he was tempted yet without sin. Tempted to the fullest extent, even beyond human capacity, yet without sin. Verse 16 goes on to say, Let us then, with confidence, because of Christ, the one who is our high priest, the one who sympathizes with what we are going through, let us draw with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So maybe this morning you are in need of God's grace. Maybe this morning you're in need of hope or mercy or peace, which we haven't even gotten to yet. But see, Paul is telling young Timothy this for him to take his gaze off of all the circumstances which will happen and make his gaze be heavenward and remembering the blessings that he has from God to be able to live in the world in which he finds himself living, being able to do ministry to those with, uh, under his care, to be a brother to uh, the brothers and sisters he has in Christ, to be an example to not forget because we're, as it says in the, the hymn that came to mind when I was reading over my sermon this morning, come thou found of every blessing. Verse 3 says, O to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. So maybe you're here this morning and you're prone to wandering, prone to taking your focus and your gaze off of God because you're leaving your Bible on your nightstand and not reading it throughout the week. Or maybe not spending any time in prayer. Maybe this is your proverbial shot in the arm when you come to Ellington Baptist Church on Sunday. Now, don't mishear me. I am glad that each and every one of you are here. But this is not the end. This is part of something that should bolster you up, equip you to be able to live the life God is calling you to live so that you're not prone to wander. But instead... We're asking God to bind our wandering heart to him. A blessing of hope, a blessing of grace, and third, a blessing of mercy. Now, as you look back at Paul's other letters to the churches, he always said grace and peace. 
But in this letter to Timothy, as well as 2 Timothy, he adds this third descriptor here, this third blessing that he wants Timothy to be aware of. Not only the hope of Christ, not only the amazing grace of God, but also God's mercy. Mercy is God's kindness and compassion in forgiving us and reserving punishment, reserving God's holy wrath, which is upon every unbeliever, upon every sinner, apart from faith and trust in Christ. God's mercy is reserving that punishment that we justly deserve. Justly deserve. We don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve grace. They're gifts of God. Justly deserve by placing that punishment on who? Jesus Christ. See, that's God's mercy for Timothy as he's dealing with other people to make sure that, you know, he is being merciful as God has been merciful to him. Even to people that may seek to take his life or seek to communicate another gospel, one that they had not been taught. That when false teachers come in to be merciful but not compromise when it comes to sharing the truth and love. Paul understood this mercy because later on, if you look in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And we know as we take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, which we looked at um, probably a couple years ago, that God is rich in mercy. Listen to verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you see that God is rich in mercy? David understood that as the, the prophet Nathan called him out for his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Listen to what he says in Psalm 51.1. Have mercy on me, O God. So in other words, don't pass judgment. Don't punish me right here and right now, which you have the right to do because you are almighty God. But instead, show, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. That's a broken heart, realizing that he had made a mistake. He did more than make a mistake. He sinned against God. Because sin's not a mistake. Sin is willful rebellion against God. And that's exactly what David did. And he says, have mercy on me, God. I know you have the right as the just judge to pass judgment on me right here and right now. but have mercy on me. You know, I like to watch movies. A lot of times you'll find, as I watch movies, that there's always a, a, a good guy and a bad guy. 
You got that, that constant battle. And sometimes when I watch movies, it's like, you know, you're sitting there and you cannot wait until that bad guy gets what's coming to him. You've been there, you know, right? He's like, you know, what are you waiting for? We want justice. Now place you, yourself, in the presence of Almighty God, who is holy, holy, holy. Do you want justice at that moment? No. You want mercy from God. See, justice is what sent Jesus Christ, God's Son, to the cross. That's justice being paid in full. A justice that you and I deserve. That is the death we deserve. But God is rich in mercy. And we know as we live the Christian life, as we uh, read in Lamentations, that his mercies are new every day. It says there in verse uh, 22 and 23 of Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because God is mercy. And you know what? You and I benefit from the fact that God is merciful. Because we still sin. We still choose to disobey God. Jesus paid the debt in full. But how many times do I needlessly put myself in a situation where I put an impediment between God and myself so that my walk is not what it should be, where I'm not walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which I've been called. And in turn, as it tells us in Luke 6, 36, to be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. So there's a call for us and a call for for Paul to Timothy to say, be merciful as God has been merciful to you, as God has been merciful to me. As I reflect and look back on all the things that I did and God showed mercy on me, that's who I should be. As you are a blessing to me, let me be a blessing to someone else. And fourth, the blessing of peace. Brings me always to Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, declared righteous by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I have peace with God is because of Jesus Christ. The reason I have peace with God is because only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is not just a passing peace. This is not just a cessation from hostility. I've been reconciled to God, been made right before God because of Christ. Billy Graham shared the uh, story in relation to the sea that was beating against the rocks in huge and dashing waves. The lightning was flashing, the thunder was roaring, the wind was blowing, but the little bird was asleep in the crevice of the rock, its head serenely under its wing, sound asleep. That is peace. To be able to sleep in the storm. In Christ, we are relaxed and at peace in the midst of the confusions, bewilderments, and perplexities of this life. The storm rages, but our hearts are at rest. We have found peace, peace at last.
See, this is the kind of peace that Jesus was encouraging his disciples with just before he was ready to leave. In John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, Jesus was enjoying the blessing of peace as he slept in the stern of that little boat. As the waves were crashing up against and moving that boat and the waves were crashing over the side of that boat, filling the boat. Jesus wasn't uneasy. He was sleeping. You know why? Because he was enjoying the blessing of peace because he was resting and trusting in the Heavenly Father. He was enjoying the blessing of peace as Satan tempted him in the wilderness where he called him into question who he was and the power that he rightly has as the Son of God, as the God of all, the Creator, even Satan's Creator. Jesus was enjoying the blessing of peace as people threatened, mocked, insulted, and spit upon him. We don't see Jesus being anxious or fearful. He's at peace. He was enjoying the blessing of peace when he was betrayed by his own people and condemned to death. And Jesus was experiencing the blessing of peace when he was flogged, nailed to a cross, died, and was buried. But see, Jesus understood the peace of God that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense. How could he possibly be at peace? How could he possibly hold it all together? Oh, it's because he was the son of God. Yeah, don't go there. He still took on flesh and dwelt among us. He experienced pain like you and I experience pain. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, Jesus is the Son of Man. But the reason why he was at peace is because he was trusting the Father. And the thing is, Paul knows that Timothy is going to be in need of the peace of God that passes all understanding as he finds himself living in the day and age of the Emperor Nero, who just for fun dipped Christians in tar and lit them on fire. How do you find peace in that? Because your focus is not on the circumstances. Your focus is heavenward. See, peace comes through the realization of the hope, grace, and mercy that we enjoy. It's a soul at rest. Listen to Psalm 62, 1 and 2. It says, For God alone my soul waits or my soul trusts in silence. So in other words, I'm not making excuses. I'm not coming forth with, you know, my, you know, uh, five points that I need to let God know at that given moment. It says, for God alone, my soul waits or trusts in silence. Because we don't need to make an argument. We don't need to make an appeal because God knows each and every one of his children and he has them in the palm of his hand or under his wing like a hen with chicks. Or as we read earlier, is that strong tower. My soul waits or trusts in silence. From him comes my salvation. So salvation belongs to God. Where did we hear that before? 
Ephesians. See, God is the one who saves. Verse 2, he only, he only is my rock. So there's no other rock to stand on. As you find yourself living the Christian life, stand on the one and only rock there is, and that is God himself. That's how you can have peace. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Even though the world around us may be shaking and rattling apart, there is a sure foundation, which is Jesus Christ himself. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him. Who keeps him? God keeps him. Who's the him? You and me, every believer in Jesus Christ. You keep him in perfect Not imperfect, not partial, not coming and going. Perfect peace whose mind is stayed on what? The circumstances? No. Whose mind is stayed on thee or on you, who is God himself. That's how you can have peace in the storm of life. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, in God. That's where it lies. That's how the soul can be at rest no matter what. Even if you were put into the situation where someone tells you to renounce your faith in Jesus Christ, you can have the peace of God which passes all understanding to know that when you stand on the solid rock, that there is nothing that man can do to change who you are as a son or daughter of God. Do you believe all of God's promises? That's good. The follow-up question is, in all circumstances. That's where it gets tough. It's easy to trust God's promises and believe God's promises when everything's going right. It's another thing all together to believe and to know God's promises when things are not going the way you think they should go or when God is using a trial to build character in you and you'd rather not have that trial right now because there is X, Y, and Z over here that I really need to take care of. Um, God, your timing is just not right. In all circumstances. Psalm 111, 7 and 8 says, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Is God trustworthy? Can you trust God no matter what? You should. If you know who he is. But if you're focusing on the circumstances, all of a sudden you begin to doubt that trustworthiness. Well, if God really cared about me, he would. Take this burden away from me. Remove this sickness from me. See, circumstances do not change God. God is God eternally, faithful and true. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Verse 8 goes on to say, they are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. So not only are they faithful and just, they actually are performed in justice and righteousness. 
So even how God does it is right. That's how you can be at peace with God. Something that young Timothy needed to hear, something that you and I need to hear today. John 14, 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe or trust in God. Believe or trust also in me. So this morning, don't be conflicted. Don't be at odds with God. Don't doubt. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Rest in the one who is your rock, your salvation, your fortress, the one who will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him and him alone, no matter what the circumstances are, because our God is faithful to who he is and to us as his children. So how does this inform our lives today? You hear about hope, grace, mercy, peace a lot. Sometimes they can become just words in our mind that, yep, I've heard that. Yep, God's grace is amazing. Yep, God was merciful and didn't, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, may I challenge your thinking this morning is that we all need a healthy dose of Christ who is our hope, a healthy dose of the blessing of grace, mercy, as well as peace. And to remember the character of the God from whom it comes. Okay? We talk about God's attributes. Matter of fact, in the class I'm teaching, we just started that chapter in the Fundamentals of the Faith. We talk about God being infinite. We're finite. That means we have limits. There's things you cannot do. There's nothing that our God cannot do. I like what theologian Louis Burkhoff said in his Systematic Theology as he defined God's infinity as that perfection of God by which he is free from all limitations. No way limited by the universe, by this time-space world, or confined to the universe. We like to have everything boxed up neatly with a perfect bow on top. And sometimes that's exactly where we put God, is in that neat little box with the perfect bow on top. You need to remember who God is. Because God has an infinite source of hope, an infinite source of grace, an infinite source of mercy, an infinite source of peace. It's not limited by the circumstances of life. It's infinite in nature, and even when he gives it, he doesn't lose any of it because he is infinite in all things. And we talk about God being infinite in his knowledge, his power, and his presence. That qualifies God to be sovereign in all things, which includes the blessing of hope, grace, mercy, and peace. Can you rest in that? Can you trust in that? Because it should bring great and profound comfort to every believer here this morning. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You can name them. They could be a thousand circumstances. 
that does not change who God is, that does not change his character. And that's what we rest in. So as I close, remember Psalm 147.5, where it says, Great is our Lord. Great is our Lord. Great is our Lord. And abundant in power, because he's infinite in power. He's omnipotent. His understanding is beyond measure. So your set of circumstances, no matter how many factors involved, God understands. But he's also calling us to obedience to keep our gaze upon him and not the circumstances. You understand? So where should your gaze be? Heavenward. Not on all the circumstances around you. You're still part of that. You don't pretend like it's not there. But what you're doing is you're trusting in the one who is going to give you the ability to look beyond the circumstances and to trust in the one thing that will never fail you no matter what. They can pull you out of wherever you are and take you where you need to go. That's our God who is great. Amen? Amen. Amen.